was excited by how many first-time filmmakers mm -hmm. made something just astonishing. And right here is where we usually would pause for a little bit of the trailer, but there is no trailer because it doesn't even have distribution. Crazy shit happens, and pretty soon, you've lost the will to live. It's cat. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess we say the same thing every year about this time. Where did the year go? <laughs> what happened? It seemed like just last week we were doing the half-year list. Mm. And here we are. Not only the end of the year, but the end of the decade, which, jeez Louise. Don't get me started on that. <laughs> Welcome. This is the Fright Club Podcast, and she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And we are from MadWolf.com. And first of all, of course, thank you to the great crowd for the movie that one of us picked <laughs> Last time at the Gateway Film Center, Fright Club Live, as we had our holiday treat of American Psycho. That was fun. First of all, thank you for letting me pick a movie. You're welcome. And also thank you for the crowd to, for coming out and not letting me down, not leaving me hanging. That's right. Because I would have been embarrassed. But that was a fun one. It was. And a lot of people, and I was surprised, there were a couple of people there who hadn't seen it. Yeah. I mean, I think it's impossible not to enjoy that movie. It's so nuts. There were some, you're right, that hadn't seen it at all. And a few that hadn't seen it on the big screen. Right. So that's another perk yeah. to come out. And it's just a blast. It's it just is. a blast. So It is. And, of course, we, we didn't mention Jen Dreadful, our friend Jen Dreadful. We forgot. Time. And that is her favorite movie. It right? is. And I had, I had absolutely uh, intended to mention it. She wasn't able to join us because she was returning some videotapes. Right. Of course. But here's the thing. You know, that line, of course, we all know. We've said it a million times. There's so many lines. But the one this time, after right. seeing the movie 76 times... <laughs> The one that stuck out for both of us right. was the, <laughs> whose moronic idea was it to order dry beer? <laughs> How did that slip past us? I don't know. The I know. It's funny. Neither one of us remember it at all. And both of us, it, after after he said it, we're like, that's genius. And we both kept quoting. We're like, how did we never hear it before? Well, first of all, it reminds you of that dry beer phase. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah, that, that one just jumped out. That was fantastic. So, And speaking of, Jen Dreadful. That's right. So Jen Dreadful was a frequent co-host on our friend Phantom Dark Dave's podcast, Dave's Pop Culture Podcast, and he is retiring from podcasting. Wow. In fact, there, his, his latest episode, his final episode dropped today, the day that we are taping this. So we just, you know, fond farewell. Yeah. We will miss you. And yeah. also, we fully plan to drag the two of them back into at least one more podcast. They are going to join us sometime this spring to do a trauma podcast, which is the podcast we're going to call Movies George Hates. Well, you know what I'll be doing on that day? <laughs> Returning some videotapes. <laughs> so, no, uh, best wishes. Uh, Dave, whatever you're up to next. And, um, yeah, we will definitely hold them to that. Yes. So even though it's not my favorite, it'll still be fun. And who who mentioned Jaws? Why are we mentioning Jaws? Because our podcast topic with American Psycho was future Oscar winners. Oh. And I neglected to put Jaws on the list. And okay. it does seem like a, a movie that Chop probably should have been on that list. And right. Seth, point, Beer Nut won. He pointed out that... Well, of course, uh, Spielberg. And, of course, Richard Dreyfuss yeah. won. And Roy Scheider was nominated twice. So, yeah, he, that's... he didn't win. I think he was nominated twice, at least once. And I was nominated for all that jazz. Um, but, uh, anyway, uh, of course, it's anytime you can mention Jaws. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing. <laughs> so, thank you, Seth. All right, so... We're at the end of the year now. We are counting down our favorites from 2019. So let's just, before we do just overall, what are the impressions of horror in 2019? I thought we had a great year. 
I thought it was a good year, and it was a, okay, great, I'll go great. And it was a varied year. Yeah, it was. A lot of different stuff. Yeah, and you know, and looking back on the, the final list that I put together, and also, honestly, the um, the also-rans, the ones that came in really close, Yeah, I was excited by how many first-time filmmakers mm-hmm. made something just astonishing, something that I just loved. Yeah, just a lot of different types of horror movies. And we've got a Western Mm. We've got a horror western. Mm-hmm. We've got uh, just a bunch of different kind of stuff of, from very mainstream, very big budgeted, big marketing to, well, in the case of one, to no, not even distribution. That's uh, right. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> and we'll get to that. But yeah, just all over the place. Yeah. So overall, I think I'm with you. I think it was a great year for horror, and we can hopefully look, uh, look on to 2020 with some equally great things. So we've got 10 to talk about. Well, we've got 10 to really count down. We've got, what, about 20 to mention. Right. Because there's a bunch that deserve mention, but we'll get to the honorable mentions a bit later. But why don't we just jump into this, right? Are we good? Yes. Are we good to start it for 2019? Our number 10 is a bride's wedding night taking a sinister turn when her eccentric new in-laws force her to take part in a terrifying game, ready or not. We're going to start the count. Good luck. This was one that just delivered on the fun of the trailer. You got the premise right away. You think, boy, that looks fun, and it was. Yeah, I think that's exactly that's exactly right. Um, it moves pretty quickly. There is a lot of bloodshed, <laughs> you know, and there's a lot of jump scares, but done in not a lazy way because, of course, that's one of the things about hide-and-seek, mm-hmm. right, it, which is what they're playing. And I think that, you know, if you examine it really closely, there are some holes, but on the whole, I thought the performances were fun and the movie, and it also had some really funny performances. It did, and it also was in a vein that we saw a lot, not just in horror, but in movies in general, Mm -hmm. which makes perfect sense because they always reflect the times. And that theme was the haves versus the have-nots. Yes. And who was feeding on whom. Right. Which is what you can see in Parasite Mm -hmm. and also, of course, in Knives Out. Sure. And all three of these movies remind me a lot of each other. And all three of the movies are fun and fascinating to watch. This one just has the most bloodshed. (laughs) And here's something you'll like because, you know, she wore Grace. Uh, the bride wore Chuck Taylor sneakers yes. Yes, and they did. were yellow. And they actually had to have those custom painted because Converse no longer makes that color what? of Chuck Taylor's. Maybe they will now. They ought to. Maybe they should. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so that was cool. That was uh, Ready or Not, number 10 on our list of the best of 2019. At number nine, it's French dancers gathering in a remote, empty school building to rehearse on a wintry night. The all-night celebration morphs into a hallucinatory nightmare when they learn their sangria is laced with LSD. What? Gaspar Noe in Climax. If you couldn't dance, what would you do? Mmm... sad. One after another, the dancers introduce themselves to into a camera. They tell us a little bit about themselves. They gather, and they all start dancing, and crazy, crazy shit happens, and pretty soon, you've lost the will to live. It's Cats! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a good reason that the movie Cats reminded me so much of this movie. Well, I think you were the one to first say it, and it's genius. We were about not even halfway through the movie, and we don't have these skills or we would have done it already. But some internet genius, and hopefully they're working... Some hero. Some hero, and hopefully they're working on it already, is going to mash this up with yes. the new cats. yeah. And that will be 
It will be. It Chef's will be. kiss. I can't but, wait to see it. <laughs> but let's go back to this. Gaspar Noe, we always are intrigued by what he's doing. Even if you don't love everything he's doing, you want to see it. At least I do. And this one actually was one of his best reviewed movies. It right. got really solid reviews. And that, by his own admission, made him suspicious because <laughs> he has said that he believes art and his movies in particular should be divisive and make the audience uncomfortable. And he certainly has done that in his career. And there are moments in this movie that will make you uncomfortable for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. But it starts out very beautiful. You know, this movie is made up of long takes. One of them, the one of the very opening dance number, which I think was the only dance number that was choreographed. Mm -hmm. Because most of the cast, except for Sofia Botella, were not actors. They were dancers. Right, right, right. Uh, and hired for their dancing ability. And so that first long take really gets you into this dance party. And then, once they drink that spiked sangria, man, whew, things get out of control. In certain ways, it reminds me, weirdly enough, of the film Mother. Because okay. it, this movie plays on your own, the viewer's just neurotic impulses to just oh, yeah. sort of, just please stop doing that. Just stop doing that. <laughs> you know, just... Just stop doing that. Don't put him in there. Someone just open the door. And then this constant pulsating techno yep. soundtrack. I can't remember the last movie that I was so, well, not until Uncut Gems. Mm -hmm. I was so tense the entire film through. I thought, if this movie is any longer, I'm going to have a migraine just from clenching my teeth. So many of his movies do that. They just just bombard you with sound and vision and you're in one in particular is not my favorite of his movies enter the void yeah by the end of it because it's very long i felt like someone had beat me up right and that's the kind of thing he does it's a sensory overload right and so much of this is beautiful and then it's just a nightmare yeah it is and he, he really wanted to take it from a celebration of art and and everybody's uh, fulfillment, I guess, down to their basic primal instincts, right. de-evolution, I guess. And boy, that's that's what happened. And it just is a is a total bloodbath and and all sorts of body fluids by the time <laughs> by the time we're done. But really enjoyed it. And Caspar uh, Noe's climax is number nine on our list of the best. In horror. Moving up to number eight, after the disappearance of her husband, a struggling farmer in an isolated Appalachian community fights to save her son when the cold-hearted matriarch of the oldest family on the mountain demands payment of a debt that could destroy a decades-old truce. This one is called Reckoning. And right here is where we usually would pause for a little bit of the trailer, but there is no trailer because this is the one we were talking about. It doesn't even have distribution. Yeah, and so it seems funny that it's on the list, right? Because you're thinking, why tell me about a movie that I can't see? Mm -hmm. But And I thought about that. I really did not putting it on the list. and then. But th the thing is, it firmly belongs among our list of favorite horror films of this year. Yeah. I loved every minute of this movie. We were lucky enough. We were on the jury for Nightmares Film Festival, and you've heard us talk about that a lot. Nightmares Film Festival every October here in uh, Columbus, Ohio. And this one was on the submission list, and it just blew us away. Oh, yeah. And not only did we recommend it, but it was accepted, mm -hmm. and it won mm -hmm. Best Thriller yep. Feature. Yep. Well, well deserved. So, they also got a nomination for Best Lead Actress and for Best Cinematography. Yeah, both yep. well deserved. Danielle Detweiler. Mm -hmm. 
plays the lead. She's phenomenal. Lemon. Lemon. She's so good. She's great. But every performance in the movie is so good, and it's very uncommon, I think especially in a horror film, to sort of drop you in Appalachia and then at no point hand you a one-dimensional cliche of a backwoods hillbilly character. Boy, boy, that doesn't happen here. Yeah, the writers and directors are Lane and Ruckus Sky. What a nice name. names. What a name, Ruckus. Those are great. I love that. And it also breaks one of your rules right away, it but then redeems itself. It gives you some opening text, which you normally don't like. But boy, this the text on this one gets your attention about the people that live in these mountains and what kind of lives they lead and how... Little they want you sticking yes. your nose in, boy, yes. and what might happen if you do. So it's just, you're right, it's a weird thing for us to bring this up because it can't be seen, but just, I guess, keep it on your radar. Yeah, exactly. And if you see it pop up anywhere, hopefully it will get distribution. It certainly deserves it. Right, and if you happen to be working at IFC Midnight and you're listening to this podcast, for the love of God, find <laughs> Reckoning and pick it up. Yeah, that is number eight on our list of best horror of 2019. So up to number seven. Back to the ones that did get distribution. Things go badly for a hack director and film crew shooting a low-budget zombie movie in an abandoned World War II Japanese facility when they are attacked by real zombies. One cut of the dead. Well, first of all, that premise just reaffirms the belief that we're not going to run out of zombie premises. <laughs> this is great. It is. This is such a fun. This is such a fun movie, and um, and and it's also incredibly cleverly made. Mm -hmm. So the first half hour, at least, of the film is that sort of final product zombie movie that you're watching. Uh, and then the the next two thirds of the film is how that movie got made. So it backtracks <laughs> and it takes you through the whole thing. And it's just this sort of sort of hack, good guy director and uh, and like a streaming service, like a shutter type of streaming service hires him. And the gimmick is it's got to be one cut. It's a live. They're they're filming it live. And so after you see the sort of thirty minute film, then you see from the beginning to the end what they went through to get it on the screen for you. And it's so clever and so, so, so fun. Yeah, and actually the first 37 minutes were shot in one take. That took two days and took six takes Wow! to get it right, the first 37 minutes. And it cost about $25,000 to make, made over $25 million yep. for the good return on investment. And check this, most of the cast, not only... Were they not paid to be in the movie? Mm -hmm. They paid to be in it. Wow. At least at first, because this was a final product of an acting and directing work workshop called the ENBU Seminar. Wow. <laughs> wow. How sweet is that? That's awesome. And it's funny. So the reason that we got to see this in advance is that we have a partnership with Shudder. And so we get the opportunity to see their premieres about a month or so before they premiere online. And this was one of the one of the Shutter premieres. Every so often they'll have one that, that gets a very limited theatrical distribution the week before it drops on Shutter. And this was one of those. So we got to see it. And then uh, about two weeks later, they showed it for, I think, just one night at the Gateway Film Center. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Shutter picked it up and started streaming it. I'm glad Shutter is streaming it because I think a lot of people might have missed it. But I this would be such a fun movie to see with the crowd. Should I go back in and, and put a, a big-time alert when we're big-timing? <laughs> we have a partnership with Shudder. 
<laughs> no, it's very cool. We thank you, uh, Shutter, so much because we get to see fun stuff like this. Yes. And say that, please check it out yeah. because it is so much fun and so clever and, uh, and bloody. And that is one cut of the dead, number seven on our list. Moving up to number six, a mystical teen noir that follows a young girl's disappearance in the rural Midwest and its effect on teens and parents, knives and skin. I will rise. If only Tell me where she is! to hold you down. The first thing that I'm excited to point out is that the next three movies that we talk about are all directed by women. Yeah. And and actually, Reckoning is co-directed and co-written by a woman. That's right. So it's kind of fun that just about half our list is maestroed by female filmmakers, and I think that that's very cool. And it happens that Jennifer Reeder, who wrote and directed this film, is actually from Columbus, Ohio. Yes. Uh, and she's been a Chicago filmmaker for quite a number of years, and she's made a lot of shorts and done a lot of really art house kind of work. And didn't she just... W- I just saw... Her name pop up. Yeah, she won Columbus, like sh- uh, uh, Chicagoan Filmmakers Award. Yeah, yeah, of, of the year. Yeah. yeah. So, so congratulations. Congratulations, awesome. Jennifer. Yeah, because she. I mean, this is her first feature, which might make her seem like she's kind of new to the business, but she isn't. She's been making films and doing art cinematically for years, but this is her her first leap to feature filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Boy, what a voice she has! It's a bizarre movie. It's very, very fun, incredibly smart. It's a pulpy high school noir. And one of the things that makes it stand apart is it's it's more or less set modern day. They don't really clarify that. But they do a lot of acapella singing uh-huh. of sort of alt-rock hits from the 80s. And it's, it's crazy how just spot-on perfect these are with the tone of the movie, but also with what's going on in, in, throughout the film. And also... In a, in a similar way, not to the same extent, we were just talking about the sensory overload of Gaspar Noe. This definitely uses music yeah. and a certain type of cinematography to kind of envelop you in a certain mood. Exactly. Yeah, it really, and, and it's, it's one of those things, one of the movies that it reminded me of in a weird way is Anna Biller's The Love Witch. Uh-huh. Not that it feels that retro in any way, it doesn't. It's that you have the feeling that every single choice, everything you're looking at from the costume to the set direction to these tiny dollhouses to all this weird stuff that the filmmaker clearly had a hand in. She Mm -hmm. just has such a very distinct sort of thumbprint that I feel like we're going to recognize her work the next time we see it, the next time we see it. Mm -hmm. She really has a very fascinating voice. And the, the movie gets compared a lot to Twin Peaks, which I was, is a, I was just going to say David Lynch. Uh-huh. Yeah, she's got a very David Lynch style, but it's um, you know, that's clearly not a knock. <laughs> and, no, and and no, it never no. feels it never feels ripped off in any way. It's right. just that she has a similar sensibility but an incredibly feminist voice. And I just thought this movie was miraculous. Yeah. Uh, that is number 6, Jennifer Reeder's Knives and Skin. So before we get into our top five, let's go back and talk about those. Ooh, this looks like at least 10 or so movies that uh, do deserve a mention, even though they didn't quite crack our, our top 10. There's a bunch here and some good, good stuff. Let off with one. I could not believe this didn't make the list because we love The Dead Don't Die. We did. Actually, the first two on this list uh, that we're going to talk about, they were they have been on and off of our final 10. So I had them on, had them off, had them on, had them off. And actually, the I mean, the... the Almost all of these could have, but yeah, the dead don't die. Not everybody loved that movie. It's actually quite polarizing. But if you if you are a fan of Jim Jarmusch, and we certainly are, yeah. 
You know, it's such a Jim Jarmusch movie. Yeah, I really compared it a few times when talking about it to people with Napoleon Dynamite because Napoleon Dynamite has such a voice, such a unique way of presenting itself that I can totally understand people that hate it. Yeah. Because if you're five minutes in and you're if, if you're not, you're not laughing, it, get out. Yeah. Get out now. The same thing with this movie. If oh, it, yeah. If you get it in the beginning, stay with it. But if you think, oh, it's going to become more of a Shaun of the Dead, no. Nope. Nope. No, it's not. Just no, get what, out. What you get in the 10 minutes, that's what you're going to get the entire 90 minutes. Right. Like, it's not going to pick up. It's not going to hit a crescendo. No one's going to move quickly. But it's if you loved it, you're going to love the whole thing. Yeah, and we really did. Also, speaking of weird, In Fabric is one that we just saw a few weeks ago. And it came close to making this list. It did. The killer dress yes. and uh, all the weirdness that accompanies it. It's another one that just has such an incredible voice and incredible vision. And it's another one that if, uh, if, if you're 10 minutes in and you're not digging it, you're not going to dig. It, so right. bail. Exactly. But we loved it. <laughs> we did. And um, lose as well. Yes, because this is a weird, um, semi-experimental sort of inversion of uh, the demonic possession movie. It's incredibly minimalistic, creepy as hell. I just and I loved the bold sort of uh, vision that it had. And sort of back to reckoning with mountain people. And the ways of mountain people, Hagazusa. Yeah, that Impressive, one. Yes. It's so, and it it is like a dream. It's like a poet. It's like a poem, and it's it's so hard to describe, and really worth watching. One we talked about where we said we had a western western horror on this on this list, or at least to talk about, and that's this one called The Wind. Which is it is a western. It's very isolated. You only have very few people mm-hmm. in. The cast at all, but man, it's it's really gripping. It, it is, and it also, you know, you so rarely get a western from a female point of view, and it really creates a very different mood, a very different kind of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I love the way that that played out in this movie. Very true. The Headhunter, as well, I know it was one you liked. I actually didn't see it. Yeah, so it's funny. So the Headhunter we saw first. We were it was available to us to see first at Nightmares Film Festival, and it did win Best Cinematography, which right fully deserved. And then it was one that we got to review for Shudder. So I got to see it twice before it was sort of out to the masses. And I'm glad I got to see it a second time, although it's slow and you you might feel like not paying close attention, but do. Because honestly, it's one of those movies where every small decision made is important on the, in the long run. And also, when it does get to sort of the gore and whatnot, I love, I really appreciated that it... it what was practical effects? Mm-hmm. Yeah, always appreciate that. Gwen is one that deserves uh, mention as well. It's another, you know, mountain person period piece. A lot it's of another, mountain people. I this know, year. <laughs> I know, and it's another one from a female perspective, and it is a bit of a gut punch of a movie. I'll tell you what, but it's another beautiful, haunting period drama. And here's one that I cannot believe was this year. Seems like we saw it last year, uh, but the time goes so fast. Starfish. Yeah. It's... We actually were treated to writer-director Al White coming to town for a screening. We did. We got to do a QA with them after their movie premiered at the Gateway Film Center. It's a really unusual and interesting and intimate kind of mood piece about grief, really, and uh, an alien invasion. And another one that deserves a mention, The Hole. 
This was an Irish movie, and it played on what another one of those common themes, especially in horror this year, is that we're afraid of what our boys are growing up to be. Mm-hmm. That was that was that a lot of anxiety uh, kind of rippled throughout horror this year. And this was, I think, of the full-blown horror films that sprung from that. This is the best one. I really enjoyed it. Speaking of bad boys, Pledge, another movie that I could have sworn was last year. I know, because it was January. <laughs> okay. It was January of this okay. year. And it, it's a short, it is. mean, tidy little uh, frat boy drama. And, With yeah. a nice twist. Yes, and some nasty soup. <laughs> Boy, that soup is nasty. Ugh. One that is fun, 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 even though you're going to have to suspend some disbelief, it's Crawl. Almost everybody that I've talked to that has seen it has just had a ball with Absolutely. it. Absolutely, and it's the kind of movie you just don't see very much anymore. It's a... When animals attack, but don't think, you know, Sharknado. Like, these guys, yeah. uh, okay, I'm, I'm kind of <laughs> buying that there is a there is a gator in that room. Remember when the trailer came out and I said before we even saw it, I'm in, I'm in, even though I knew this could be totally ridiculous. Oh, yeah. And it is a little bit. Yeah. And they bog you down a little bit with some sentiment that doesn't quite land, but just give me the gators, okay? Yeah. And when they do, it, it works and it's fun. Zombieland 2, we had a lot of fun with as well. Maybe not quite as much as the original, but for waiting so long, I think it brought a lot of fun. I do too, and I think so many movies really suffer from high expectations, and man, this one could have been. You know, mm-hmm. this one could have been one of those where you just go in with like your high, high hopes and it bombs, but it, you know, it was fun, and as you said, it really as much as it was great to have the core four back, it was kind of the new characters that breathe some fresh life into it. It was. That Zoe Deutsch just, oh, yeah. just she was stole great. it. Fantastic. And Little Monsters, Lupita. This was fun, too. I think it slipped through the cracks. Not a lot of people saw it. No. I think it wasn't great, but we had a good, we had a good time with it. It's a pretty common story, really, you know, uh, Lupita Nyong'o was so amazing in this movie. She was so, as the kindergarten teacher who has her uh, kindergarten class on a field trip at a petting zoo when the zombie apocalypse breaks out. <laughs> and she just has got her little ukulele and her mm-hmm. yellow dress and she's keeping everybody Singing very Taylor upbeat Swift songs, while yeah. she's murdering a lot of zombies. <laughs> it was She was just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and a couple that we should mention, even though we didn't love them, but they were big, major releases. Yeah. Both It Chapter 2 and Doctor Sleep. Yeah. A um, couple of Stephen we, King adaptations this year. We liked them fine. Mm-hmm. We didn't hate them. No. We liked them fine. Mm-hmm. Doctor Sleep pretty much bombed. Yeah. Uh, it, too, did not bomb, although it might have underperformed. Yeah, and, and certainly critically. Uh, I think yeah. people certainly didn't love it the way they loved It Chapter 1. Yeah, but we thought both were totally yeah, fine. fine. Totally. I, actually, Doctor Sleep was better than I thought it was going to be because right. I was, had really low expectations, and it was it was better than that. So uh, let's get back to the ones that really impressed us, our top ten. We're up to number five now, and this one is set in 1825 when a young Irish convict woman chases a British officer through the rugged Tasmanian wilderness. Jennifer Kent and the Nightingale. We don't want no trouble. That's just the way, isn't it? You don't want trouble, but sometimes trouble wants you. Just there I'd sit Get me to the soldiers that came by this morning. It's too dangerous. Up north, they kill us. You sure you want to follow him? Well, this one got some headlines because it's it's tough to watch. It yes, has it some sequences that are tough to watch. But that, as we have always said many times, things are done on purpose. Mm-hmm. And Jennifer Kent 
clearly doing that on purpose. She had a very clear plan of action. Mm-hmm. There's a reason for that brutalized violence, and I, I think it works. I think she's crafted a really impressive second feature here. Oh, I do too, and it's 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 almost the polar opposite of her first, right? So the Babadook is all internal and inside with this very small cast, and this is all external and with a big cast and with a lot going on, but I think that she handles it really brilliantly, and man, she got some great performances. Yeah, she has said that she was determined that the violence would be honest and authentic to respect those who suffered and died during this period in colonial Australia. And she did, from everything that I could read, she did extensive research on the period to make it as honest and authentic as possible because we're not just dealing, as the movie goes along, we're not just dealing with the brutal things that have happened to this woman. We're dealing with, as you have pointed out, the brutal things that happened to this entire race of people. Yeah, and and I feel like we're positioned as an audience to understand the rape revenge story. And so Jennifer Kent uses this to the amount of brutality that we're, we're willing to accept is inflicted on this one human being. And then her quest for revenge, we're willing to accept it. And so she uses that to say, this is just one person. This same thing happened to this whole population of, of people. And I think that's one of the reasons why the sort of point of view character shifts a little bit mid-film. All of it works for me. I thought it was a brutal and difficult and important movie. Yeah, she was quoted as saying, a lot of people outside Australia know nothing or very little about it. I couldn't go into this part of our history and water it down. Oh, right. And you got to respect that. And uh, it is. Uh, if you haven't seen it, get ready, because there are some very brutal scenes you might want to look away from, but the entire thing is, is really quite quite a trip, and that is The Nightingale, number five on our list from Jennifer Kent. Moving up to number four, Best of Horror in 2019. This is a dark fairy tale about a gang of five children trying to survive the horrific violence of the cartels and the ghosts created every day by the drug war. Tigers are not afraid. This is Issa Lopez, and it, it the film is so lovely and such a fairy tale that it is bound to remind people of Pan's Labyrinth. Mm-hmm. And I think that that makes sense. That's a tough comparison to live up to. But what she's really done is taken the same concept of like the childhood imagination and using that imagination to help you through a horrific time. But she's, it's really kind of at a street-level magic to it, like a street grittiness to it. And, and the performances, all of them children amazing and they were all it totally inexperienced had zero acting experience prior to working on this film they enrolled them in improvisational workshops with an acting coach prior to shooting but none of them not only did they not have any experience they were never shown a script so they could get authentic reactions to what was going on around them. And boy, did it pay off. It really did. And, you know, and and unsurprisingly, given the circumstances of the film and the the fact that nearly all of the primary characters are small children, this movie will just rip your heart out. But it's so well done, and it's got that, you know, sort of magical realism quality about it that it's it's in its own way charming. Mm -hmm. Tigers are not afraid, number four. Up to number three, boy, when, now that we're into the last three, I feel like these these were just coin flips. These last three were so close. They were so close. <laughs> so close. Because I could see this one being number one easily. Two lighthouse keepers. Witties. Try- 
try to maintain their sanity while living on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s, the lighthouse. weeks, two days, help me to recollect. I just spill your beans. <laughs> can you get through a day without saying that? I can't. I, this one, it was just, I mean, wow. What an experience. Oh, my God. From start to finish. It's Robert Eggers, of course, who did The Witch, mm-hmm. and which we love. And... If I understand correctly, he actually had the idea for this film first oh. to do. It wasn't maybe carved out completely, but a creepy, maybe ghost-like story set in a lighthouse. But then the funding for The Witch came together, and they went with that, and they came out with a mm, just a just a fantastic film. So then they went back to this one. And again, it's his total commitment to authenticity. I mean, and that's why it's filmed in that uh, aspect ratio. Let me get it right. It's since I'm not a cinematographer, one nineteen one is mm-hmm. the square aspect ratio because that is the type of cameras that were available at that time. That's the kind of the as- time period the that time before period. the film was set. Exactly right. So he was committed, as is his want, yeah, to be everything to be time specific. And the the film is so immersive. I mean, oh, the look man. of it, but that foghorn, you know. I mean, the it, it, and the the sound of the ocean and and the sound of the flatulence and <laughs> it's just you know, and it's in black and white, and it's it's so gorgeous. The whole movie is so gorgeous. Yeah, and it's a lot. We didn't know as much about. We're not big on Greek mythology, but if you are. It, and we learned a little bit after seeing this movie, but the more you know about Greek mythology, more of this will ha- make more sense to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are things that are really drawn, especially the very ending shot, drawn right out of Greek mythology. But as Robert Egg- Eggers himself has said about this movie, it was basically that nothing good could come of two men living for an extended period of time in a giant phallus. <laughs> 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 That's, uh, it gets wild. These two performances, Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe, are so committed and so great and so just batshit with oh, yeah. the way, not only their performances, but the way they're shot and the light and shadow. It's gorgeous black and white, first of all, which is perfect. And then you have these seagulls that cast spells and <laughs> mermaids, and it's it's just totally immersive, like yeah. you said. And it's almost like you're inside a nightmare yeah. of what these guys... The, the being isolated, and he says, how long have we been here? Five weeks? Two days? Um, Help me to recollect. <laughs> that's the one I keep saying. I yeah. know. <laughs> but it's one that you can keep going back to and finding new things in it mm-hmm. time after time. Because this this guy, the way with two movies now, I'm, I'm just totally in. I mean, oh, everything. percent Somehow I don't expect his next film to be a madcap romantic comedy. <laughs> But I'm in with what he does. Yeah. It's it's just it's so great and so hypnotizing. 
Uh, yes. The way this movie takes you over. It, it's incredible. Uh, the Lighthouse, number three on our list of best of horror 2019. Number two, it's a couple traveling to Sweden to visit a rural hometown's fabled Midsummer Festival, Midsummer. It's sort of a crazy festival. Special ceremonies and dressing up. That sounds fun. What am I going through? We just need to acclimate. I don't want to acclimate. I want to go. Absolutely not. What's happening? I don't know why you invited us. That's why you look so guilty right now, because you know. We only do this every 90 years. I was most excited for you to come. This is another collection right here uh, in this group, 4321, of filmmakers who you couldn't wait to see what they did next. So true. And Ari Aster is one. I mean, when we watched Hereditary, man, that was not like anything else you'd ever seen. You were just emotionally wrung out. It was so fascinating. And then he makes his follow-up. And just like Jennifer Kent, he goes from the internal horror to the external horror. The whole thing is outside. The whole thing is brightly lit. That has all these people in it. And the funny thing is, if you listen to him, he considered this his actual first horror movie because... He didn't consider, at least when making it, that Hereditary was a horror movie. Oh, okay, uh, I don't did, know how. Did, did he see? Um, <laughs> did he see her? Saw her own head off? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, whatever. But you're right. This is in a totally different direction. It's one of the. I mean, you bring you've brought it many times about the sunlit atmosphere in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre yes. and how unnerving that was, right. especially for audiences in the '70s. This is the same thing, uh, and. They they go there. There's, there's sun all the time, and then when they once they start taking those shrooms, whatever mm-hmm. they then they don't even know what day it is, what time is it. Everything becomes just one of those deals where what is real, what is not. As you go through this uh, this opus of things that are so well and and finally foretold, yes. or foreshadowed. Let's yes. put it that way. And you, of course, you'll pick up more of those in repeated viewings. And we did go back. And see, when they brought the uh, director's cut around, which was another half hour long, mm-hmm. and a lot of people were saying, oh, I don't need another. We liked it better. We did, because I think there are a handful of, of you know, questions that were left unanswered in the theatrical release. And this one handles those. You mm-hmm. know, and you're like, oh, I see. They weren't unanswered. They just got cut. Char- character, deep deepening character development, especially yep. for some of the side characters, mm-hmm. if you consider the two main characters, of course, the couple, Danny and Christian. In the director's cut, you understand a little more about the motivations with some of the other group. Especially, I think, Josh, uh, William Jackson Harper, who is sort of competing with Christian to who's going to get the more right. information for his right. thesis. And, you know, his character, I think, makes more sense mm-hmm. in the director's cut. Although, if you can't get the director's cut, I think that we really loved oh, yeah, we the did. movie the first time we saw it. But if you have seen... Don't be afraid to go back and and try the director's cut. I think it really deepens the experience, and it's so well put together. And sure, you're going to see echoes of a Wicker Man, the Wicker. Oh, for sure, of course you are. But you're going to see different things too. And I'm with you about this this filmmaker. I'm I'm totally on board with with what he does next. And this was totally as most of these films are are in this list. Just just totally immersive and 
as you go over with them to this strange land and you're just, you feel, even in this huge landscapes, you feel isolated mm-hmm. as they do. They, where can they go? They really can't go anywhere, even and, when they want to leave. And the other thing that I think he does really well visually, everything is so beautiful, so yeah. beautiful that when all these horrific things happen, but everybody else, like the majority of the people are still chanting and dancing and throwing <laughs> flowers. And you're like, it's all of this horror is just mm-hmm. mixed in with all of this beauty. And there's a bear. <laughs> and Florence Pugh has had a great year. Well, uh, you ain't lying. We just put up on MedWolf.com, we just put up a review of Little Women. And in a cast just stacked with talent. Yeah. She may be the standout in yes, Little Women. And agreed. If, and she began the year with that wrestling one. Fighting, fighting with my family, yeah. which, boy, I didn't expect much there, but she right. was very impressive. Yeah, she is She's having a, a hell of a year. A hell of a year. Number two on our list is Midsummer, leaving only room for one more. And it's a tough, it was a tough, tough call, but it's a family's serene beach vacation turning to chaos when their doppelgangers appear and begin to terrorize them. Jordan Peele's Us. There's a family in our driveway. Who is that? Run. Maybe he gets those extra push-over-the-top points because he is such an unabashed horror fan. Yeah, you ain't lying. And you can tell that's all over this movie. Yeah. Well, it's funny. So in Get Out, you know, you could tell because of some influences. You know, the prologue of Get Out is very John Carpenter. Yes. And then you've got Stepford Wives and Rosemary's Baby. You've got these call-outs throughout the movie. This one... You're not going to miss them because, first of all, they start out as a stack of VHS boxes. Yes. You know, and then they're on his T-shirt. And then, you know, I mean, he does so many things where he just, he just, he just shouts it to you, I love horror movies. Look how right. great they are. And they can be overt like that. Yeah. They can be overt like the uh, carnival with um, the Lost Boys. Yeah. They can be um, even smaller ones like calling back to his own movie with the Fruit Loops. Right. Or uh, with the Scissors, Tale of Two Sisters. I oh, mean, it just goes yeah. on. The and, Shining, when yeah. the twins are dead in the hall and right. they're positioned exactly like the sisters in The Shining. I mean, there's so many. But that's not the only reason, clearly. It's, Lord, no. No, not at all. It's such a great story, and it's I love its ambiguousness, which totally is is almost a polar opposite with Get Out, because right. Get Out, his message was, I mean, you could you could argue shades, but it was pretty clear. Right. This one leaves its itself so open to interpretation, interpretation. which I love because what what is the nature? What's he trying to say with these tethered with the doppelgangers? Is is it parts of ourselves? Is it how split we are as a country mm-hmm. with with political uh, ideologies, or is it how how split we are as a nation with class yeah. and race? Right. You could make a case for all those things. Yeah, you really could. But and and it's not one of those messagey kind of films that that undercuts the actual story being told which mm-hmm. is great it is great. and that definitely has a nod to tw- the twilight zone which we we went on to realize that apparently jordan peele is a very big twilight zone fan since he, he produced <laughs> yeah. a reboot of the whole series yeah and and for me um 
again, who's having a great year? This Lupita Nyong'o. Oh my! I think you know, and I think a, 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 you know, a case could be made for Florence Pugh in Midsummer as well. But I think Lupita Nyong'o. I think a case could be made for an Oscar nomination for this role. Yeah, and all the entire cast. There, Winston Duke, of course, because so he's such great. a great dork. <laughs> he does. <laughs> and who'd have guessed, right? After Black Panther, you're I like, know. that guy? That scary guy? He's going to come out and be a dork? The kids are great. <gasps> so too. wonderful. And then, you know, no matter how early you guess the twist, that's fine. Yeah. I think it still works. Oh, I it, no, I totally agree. Yeah. I really do. Like you said, I love the ambiguity of it. I love the callbacks. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I love the way everything looks, you know, when you get to uh, where the tethered live and, yeah. and when you see the way they're moving because yeah. they're mirroring somebody who's on a, you know, a Ferris wheel or who's on a roller coaster. I mean, everything about it is so well thought out and so almost primally creepy. He has another couple great soundtrack choices, you know, in um, it was that <laughs> Run, Rabbit, Run song yeah. in Get Out. And here you use I Got Five on oh, it. Yeah. And then you have that Minnie Ripperton song at the end. Yes. Uh, LaFleur, which is the Flower Power song, which is, is it's a beautiful song, but in this, it takes on that creepy Oh, vibe, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and if Get Out wasn't bloody enough for you, this one is bloody. Yeah, it is. <laughs> yes. There's so, a lot of death and carnage. Yeah, there is. And I uh, just loved it. Loved it so much. Can't wait to see what he does next. Jordan Peele's Us is number one on our list of horror for 2019 and yeah that ought to tell you how we let off this podcast it was a darn good year we've talked about a lot of movies here so we might have missed one maybe let us know what was on your list that we didn't cover easiest way to get a hold of us keep the conversation going that's always on twitter you can find us at fright club pod on Twitter, and of course on Facebook and Instagram, we're at Mad Wolf Columbus and the main website where you can find our written reviews of all the new movies and our other podcasts, The Screening Room, a bunch of other fun stuff. That's always at madwolf.com. So what is on tap as we start 2020? Well, the first thing we're going to do is go back to the Gateway Film Center, mm-hmm. and we are going to show the woefully underseen movie Resolution. If you yeah. know the film The Endless, this is really the prequel to The Endless, and we are going to talk about time loops and horror. And that is going to be... January 8th. January January 8th. Mm-hmm. My brother's birthday. That's right. Maybe he'll come in from California. That should be fun. So yeah, anytime, of course, if you're in the area and can join us the second Wednesday of the month, we will be doing that Fright Club live at Gateway Film Center. And then what's the next studio Fright Club? Best Horror films of the decade. Oh! Yeah, I think I have winnowed the list down now to 41. Oh, okay. So that'll be a <laughs> nice, concise <laughs> podcast you can listen to on your commute <laughs> if you're driving across country. Good stuff this past year and this past decade. And we look to even more good stuff as we start off a new year and a new decade. That is so weird to say. It is. But it's just it's going to happen, whether we like it or not. Thank you, as always, for uh, being a Fright Clubber. We appreciate it. And wherever you happen to be listening, if you could take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review, we would appreciate it. Always do. So until next time, she is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf, And this is the Fright Club Podcast, and we'll go back to one of the highlights of our year in 2019, Elvira. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark. And stay frightful, my friends.